Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Huzefa, as always. And today we are talking about math, but we are talking about a particular pedagogy that is has been used at the school that I will be teaching at next year. And also, I was actually using the same system of math instruction this last year, second half of the last year, for the fourth grade class. And it is called... Singapore math. So today I'm going to be talking about Singapore math, explaining basically to everybody what it's all about. The reason why I decided to make this episode about Singapore math is because just yesterday, and I've already been immersed into the curriculum and I know quite a bit about it, but yesterday I went to, sorry, two days ago, I went to a conference run by a guy named Bill Davidson who's a Singapore math expert, and he ha- I'm going to try and get him on the show in the next couple of weeks so you guys can hear from him directly. But we had a, it was a great seminar that he ran for fourth and fifth grade teachers explaining precisely how to use Singapore math to instruct kids, and the way it worked was it was actually, we actually were the students, so we ran through the entire class just like a fourth or fifth grader Wood got to use all the, and I'm going to talk about all the different tools and devices that are used that are that are sort of the the core pieces of the Singapore math curriculum, and I really like it. There's, uh, to be honest, I think it's a great way to teach math. I've always, I've been now integrating these ideas and and principles into my private tutoring sessions as well. So we're going to start by I'm going to give you a little brief history of what what is Singapore math. How, where, how did it come about? What are the general philosophies? And then I'm going to eventually we'll talk about some of the key things, the key takeaways from the conference. And then maybe you can check it out, too, if you are interested for your child uh, to, uh, you know, another way to for him to learn math, especially effective for learning fractions, decimals, uh, a lot of these concepts that are quite tricky for kids in elementary school. So here we go. The origins of Singapore math. So Singapore math started in 1965. So in, in Singapore, sorry, uh, in 1965, they were forced into independence by the Malaysian government. So at this point, unemployment averaged 14%. Uh, GDP was less than $2,700, gross domestic product. The half of the population was illiterate, and 70% of Singapore's households lived in badly overcrowded conditions. And one third of its population squatted in slums on city fringes. So it was, never, you know, needless to say, it was in very dire straits. So let's talk about the the education system. So it's a hundred percent public school system, one hundred ninety elementary schools. There's fifty thousand students. There were thirty eight to forty students in a class. No formal kindergarten. One hour a day for mathematics, 
All teachers are trained to teach all grades. School runs from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Few students do after-school programs, um, and basically only the very wealthy. Two hours of homework per day, and the non-negotiables of mathematics in, in education in Singapore. Visualization, ability to generalize, and number sense. So basically, what happened is the country was in these dire straits, and they had to implement very quickly some core principles and ideas in the education system to try and turn things around. Now, if you have been to Singapore, it's an incredible country today. I actually, the last time I went was a couple, maybe 15 years ago. I can't, it was, it was quite a while ago. No, it was longer than that, actually, because I was a kid. So it was, but I, I went with my parents. Yeah, I guess it was like 25 years ago. I went with my parents, and even back then, it's just such a beautiful country. It's super clean. It's it's the safest or the second safest country in the world. It's either Singapore or Japan. I can't remember. It's very very clean, and it's just it's just an amazing country now. Uh, if if you see what's how things have turned around there, it's unbelievable. And I have no doubt that stabilizing the education system was a major part of that come around. So let's talk about Singapore math. Let's talk about some of the shared strategies. So there are eight shared strategies that are essential for to, to Singapore math. So first, counting up and down on a number line. Number bonds, which is developing part-whole thinking, right? So moving beyond counting all and counting on to break apart numbers. Number three, sprints and direct instruction drills. So what are I'm going to just explain what sprints are. Sprints are, I, I mean, I think they're great because it's just different ways to work on number fluency. What they are, and we actually did these in the seminar, and I'd been giving these in fourth grade, but it's, it was really fun to do it. So a sprint is you give the you give these to the kids at the beginning of class and you give them, let's say, a minute or two minutes or something. You give them a sprint and they run, they might be on one particular uh, property, one particular piece of fractions or multiplication or whatever. And ours were fractions. And we just went down the line. We answered as many questions as we could in the time allotted, just going boom, 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 boom. And it's not exactly, it wasn't even exactly graded. We just then read through the answers together and we'd see how many people you know how many we got right and the and it's kind of fun because you can sort of compare against people one of the things we did was we'd we'd say out loud yes if so we'd say all right this is the answer and if you got it correct say yes so we'd read it say yes 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 so at the beginning the entire class is all saying yes in unison as he's going down the line but as we get farther and farther down not as many people got to the end right so and and we weren't even supposed to finish there were like 46 questions. And so we got, you know, yes, yes. And then just a few people, few people, few people, fewer people. And then so you can see who kind of got the farthest by who's saying yes the longest. Anyways, I just thought that was kind of cool. And I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty fun even during the seminar. So that's what a, a sprint is. Four, place value models leading to number disks. These place metal model values, by the way, man, they are they're so cool. We were using them. I never had these when I when, when I was a kid, but it's just ways to rep to basically visualize what's going on when you have something in the tenth space, something in the hundredth space. 
in the thousandth, and then also in the tens, hundreds, thousands, right? That's going up. The other one is going down, smaller, smaller. Problem solving with problem solving ladders. That's number five. Number six, laddered questioning during delivery of instruction. And, and then this is the use of the choral response. This is really interesting too. And I'm, I'm going to try this a little bit more next year. So what you, what you do is instead of just calling on individual kids to answer a question, you'll be going through the problems and you'll say, okay, on three, everybody give the answer. One, two, three. And then a lot of times he'll snap. Uh, Bill Davidson will snap his fingers and then everybody says the answer in unison. And I think it's it's kind of cool because even if you get it wrong and you say it incorrectly and other people say it correctly, well, then you learn right there. And the other thing that's nice about it is it really gets kids focusing and paying attention. I mean, heck, it even worked for the adults. We were all really paying attention to what Bill Davidson was saying and then just waiting because we knew we were going to be called on continuously to say things. Another thing he did, which was interesting during the during the sprints was when he was reading the answers, he wouldn't just actually, he didn't read the answer to every single one. He would modify it. So it keeps you on your toes. He would say, okay, one third. Yes. Two fourths. Yes. Three ninths. Yes. Four sixteenths. Yes. The answer to number five is, and then everybody would say seven twenty fourths. Yes. Yeah. You know, so it was, it was a mixture. It was, it was several different things happening in this whole stream of questions. So you constantly had to be on your toes and you wanted to be on your toes because you wanted to, it was almost like a game. So I think that was really fun and really cool. Number seven, using the text as a map and eight. So they're just talking about the textbook. Uh, And number eight, exit tickets to guide the next day's instructions. Okay. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about how we've, you know, how the entire seminar went, and basically this this one day of instruction, and some of my major takeaways from it that I think are that I think are terrific. So we after we did the sprints, we were then working on some triangle concepts, calculating the area of a triangle. Now here's here's how it works. When you calculate the area of a triangle, like most kids who are learning this, they know how to calculate the area of a square. So he would start, so Bill started the lesson by giving everybody a little square and or drawing a little square on their on their little whiteboard dry erase boards. So everybody has a dry erase board and they're they're working on that. It's really fun. And so you take, you, you draw a square, and then he says, all right, well, you know how to calculate this area. We're not going to talk about that. I want you to shade half of it. So everybody shades, half, and he's like, shade it however you want. And so we all shade our squares and rectangles, whatever. And then we shade, and you know, I shade, I split it right down the middle. Somebody else split it down the middle, but going the other way, like down the vertical middle. And we shade in the other side and show it. And then one guy in the class did it a unique way where he shaded, he drew a line as a diagonal and shaded half of it that way. And Bill says, oh, interesting. So that's the one that he's going for. He said, even if somebody doesn't do it that way, then he'll do it anyways and just say, hey, this is another way, right? So he shows that, he shows that now to everybody like, hey, check it out. You can shade it like this. This is also half when you make this 
triangle here. Well, then you, the next thing he moves to is right triangles. How do we calculate the area of a right triangle? So it's, it's cool because what's the formula to calculate the area of a right triangle? If you don't know, or actually any triangle, but right triangle, we'll start, stick with that for now. It's base times height divided by two, or another way to say it, one half base times height. He doesn't tell the kid, he doesn't tell us what the formula is. He says, all right, how might we do this? And the idea is for you to recognize that there is, that this triangle is really half of a square, half of a rectangle. That's the idea. For you as the student to make that connection, be like, oh, well, if it's half, I know how to find the area of the rectangle if we completed the rectangle. All right, so let's say it has a, a base of three and a height of four. Boom, the rectangle would be 12. Well, the triangle then just has to be half of that, which is six. The reason why he does it this way is because what he said was, and I 100% believe this to be true, if a child figures out a formula from a logical standpoint on his or her own, then the likelihood that they will remember that formula is way, way, way higher. And I have to believe that's so true. So that's what you, that's basically how it comes about. You're like, oh, you just take the area of the square and half it. Boom. And now, without even realizing it, without having to learn this formula, you've got the formula anyways. It's, it's awesome. So that was really cool. And I like that a lot. And it, it doesn't mean that, so, and it's not as saying that Singapore math is anti-formula. Far from it. Once the student makes that connection, then they're welcome to use the formula all day long. But the idea is to get there first logically, really understand it. Then you can use the formula you know, as much as you want, and it's totally fine. That was really, really a really cool exercise. The other principle that he uses is when, when he gives out certain tasks... Some people will get through them. The, the kids who are a bit higher in the class will get through them way faster than other kids. That's going to happen. Well, what do you do? Well, what you don't want to do is then have your student who has gone through the material very quickly to be bored or to do something non-math related during that time. The idea is to, for that time, for them for, to have something for them to do that's math related. So in addition to whatever he's giving everybody, he also has... A uh, packet that can be worked that kids can go ahead with that have higher degree of difficulty for the problems, so that nobody's bored. You have or or he'll put a challenge question up on the board. Hey, you finish this work, work on the challenge question. See if you can solve this. That way, everybody has something to do. Everybody can feel productive and feel like they're making progress. And and I really like that as well. I thought that was great. After we worked on triangles and did this whole piece where we're figuring out really the formula for for uh, solving a triangle. Then we did some awesome stuff with uh, fractions where we were using something called bar models. So bar models, this is a staple of the Singapore math curriculum. So let me explain a little bit about what they are. Bar models are ways that you can understand how to how, how fractions are interacting, how to multiply fractions, things like that. Like understand what's really going on with the fractions before trying to learn, well, oh, okay, yeah, if we're multiplying fractions, we just multiply the top and the bottom. If we are dividing, we take the negative, where we multiply against the reciprocal of the second fraction, so on and so forth. Those are the mechanical ways to approach answering these problems. But 
using bar models, you first understand visually what's actually happening. What am I doing here with these fractions? How am I manipulating them? Then using those, you can see the trends. You can see what's happening mechanically. And then you can, after that, take the mechanical operation and use it. All right, so case in point. We have, we're taking two-thirds of, let's say, five, six, something like that. Well, let, now let's do a simpler one. Let's just say we're taking two-thirds of 10. Okay. Or, uh, no, no, let, let's do a better one. Two-thirds of 15. Okay, there we go. That will be better. <laughs> so you get two-thirds of 15. So we take 15 and we take a bar model, meaning just a rectangle. So we draw it a long, super long rectangle. And we're like, 15, well, we got to chop this up into 15 little squares. So we chop it up into 15 squares. So this is our, our, our bar that represents 15. So how do we find two-thirds? Well, that means we now take this bar and we got to somehow make 15 into three parts. That's the denominator because we're taking two out of three. So we sort of draw circles around five of the squares at a time because then we do that once, twice, three times. Now we got 15 split into three parts. And then we just color in the squares for two of those. And you do that once you color that in. And then you're like, all right, well, what's the answer? Oh, I've colored in 10 squares. That means two-thirds of 15 is 10. Now, as you go along and you and you start doing this, you, you, you'll basically, you'll have a, a bunch of fractions that you're multiplying or that you're adding or whatever it may be. And you're showing, you're basically doing it all through using the bar models, but then you'll have the answer, the or starting fractions, the answer, you'll start to see the trends. And then he'll say, look back, look, at, do you see a pattern with these fraction multiplications? And the kids are going to look, and they themselves will say, oh, it looks like they're just multiplying across the top. Multi and it's important not to simplify these, the fraction answers. Multiply across the top, multiply across the bottom, that's your answer. And then you're not telling them, hey, this is how you solve fractions. No, they're figuring it out on their own. This ties back to project-based learning because that's really what this is. I did an episode on project-based learning with a teacher named Andrew K. Miller. And we talked about the whole idea of allowing the child, allowing the student to figure things out on their own in a self-directed manner. And when you do it that way, the learning is more potent, powerful, and long-lasting. This is the same idea having them open the Easter egg, unravel it, and understand it for themselves is going to be way more powerful. So I thought that was really cool too. And then we did after that, we went through and then we did some stuff using the place value chart. We did a lot of operations, additions. We, he even showed us how to use the place value chart for things like multiplication and understanding what's going on when you're multiplying by 10, dividing by 100, so on and so forth. All this stuff is just to, for the purpose of conceptualization. And it's it's just lays a foundation. Then you can, once you get the foundation and you understand the mechanical pieces, then you can work on speed, mastery, etc. One other little interesting takeaway that super, super small thing that he mentioned that resonated with me. We're talking about place value and he says, listen, we don't teach kids that when you multiply by 10, we add a zero. What you teach kids is when you multiply by 10, you're shifting the number to the left, the entire number to the left, one spot on the place value chart. 
Okay, why this important distinction? And I didn't know why at first when he said this. He said, okay, you take 300, you multiply by 10, you get 3,000. You take 200, right? So you're adding a zero, fine. Take take 20, multiply by 10, becomes 200. Fine, you're adding a zero. You take five, you multiply by 10, adding a zero, 50. But what happens when you take 0.5? Then a child will think or could mistakenly believe, well, you multiply 0.5 times 10, now you get 0.50. You're adding a zero, but that's not what happens. You're shifting it. 0.5 times 10 is actually five. So it's not a throwing in of a zero. It's a shift because then that has continuity with decimals and whole number operations. I love that principle. To be honest, and then this made me think of the following question, which I asked, but for the time being, it seems that I at least I'm not aware of any curriculums that want to get rid of the multiplication symbol. But I asked, well, then why should we have the multiplication symbol be X? Because we do that, we're taught that for years, and then all of a sudden we come to pre-algebra and no more multiplication using X. And I always thought that was a bit weird. And Why do they teach that in the first place? So maybe that's a question for, for somebody else, but that always seemed odd. Why do that if you just have to unlearn that uh, at a later point? Inevitably unlearn it. Everybody's going to take pre-algebra, algebra. I mean, it's not even in advanced. You know, it's not like we're talking about college-level courses that some kids may not take. We're talking about staple math. So something to think about. Maybe one day it will be gone. Math will be a little less confusing for everybody. So that's it. That was kind of my rundown of the of Singapore math and my experience with Bill Davidson. Again, I'm going to try and get him on the show, if uh, if at all possible, to discuss this with me. I think you guys will really appreciate that. He's a real expert on the subject. And I will put information, I'll put links to Bill Davidson's website and also the Singapore Math website in the show notes. You can check out the show notes at www.scalarlearning.com. And as always, if you have questions for me, email me at huzefa at scalarlearning.com. Would love to hear from you. And if you haven't done so yet, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Episodes coming out every day this summer. So a lot of great stuff coming up. Great interviews coming up as well. Got another TED Talk speaker that's going to be on the show hopefully in the next week. Thank you guys so much for joining. I'll see you guys next time. Take it easy. Learning, give me that skill of learning. Skill of learning, give me that skill of learning.